The Postal Service is gearing up to fill hundreds of vacant frontline supervisor positions ahead of its peak holiday operations at the end of this year. The hiring surge gives management-level employees impacted by a reduction in force the option to stick with the agency. USPS is ramping up its holiday preparations earlier than usual. That's to prevent the sort of widespread mail and package delays it saw last year. Federal News Network's Jory Heckman has been following this story, and he joins us now with more. Hey, Jory. Hey, Jared. So why exactly does the Postal Service have so many uh, vacancies in those supervisor ranks at the moment? The reason why it has all these vacancies right now is because it recently lifted a hiring and promotion freeze for its management-level employees that began last summer and is part of a multi-part agency restructuring that Postmaster General Louis DeJoy implemented pretty early in his tenure with the agency. To get a better sense of what this all means, I spoke with Brian Wagner, who's the president of the National Association of Postal Supervisors, or NAPS, and he says that these 900 vacancies that we're talking about are mostly the product from attrition, so supervisors within the past year who have retired from USPS, the agency just hasn't gotten around to filling those positions, and if 900 positions sounds like a lot, that's actually only a portion of jobs that until recently were open. The agency at one point had a kind of special hiring of sorts that it only invited employees who were affected by a recent reduction in force to uh, to apply for those. And that's actually gone quite well. And Wagner said that's gone so well that the Postal Service recently invited more of the USPS workforce to sign up for these jobs. So these aren't coming new jobs. They're existing jobs that have just been vacant. So instead of waiting for this RIF reduction of force to be completed, they've opened it up for all bargaining and non-bargaining employees. What we're seeing is that some people who are impacted by the reduction in force can lateral over to these jobs, or if they're in a lower level RIF impacted job, be promoted into the supervisor position. And that's Brian Wagner, who's the president of the National Association of Postal Supervisors. And, Jory, what kind of uh, supervisor jobs exactly are we talking here? Does it just kind of run the gamut of supervisory work across USPS? Uh, it's specifically going to be frontline operational supervisors, so the types of folks that deal with customer service, distribution, transportation, and maintenance operations. And a USPS spokesman did kind of clarify further and said that these supervisors will oversee post offices and mail processing uh, mail processing plants within a given community and will oversee the letter carriers, clerks, and drivers who make sure that mail and packages get where they need to go. And so on the reduction in force side, how many employees are we are we looking at there? So speaking with Wagner with NAPS, he says that about 2,000 employees got RIF notices in May. And a RIF's never a good time for an agency, but he did say looking on the positive side, that he was actually expecting the number was going to be much higher. And of those 2,000 employees, all but 540 of them have found new positions within the agency. And Wagner says the agency is not giving up. USPS is continuing to look for alternate jobs for these RIFT employees uh, if they still want to stick with the agency. Okay, so between the rifts and the sort of new positions and the people who have found other work within within USPS, what does it mean for the overall headcount? So despite this hiring, despite these potential layoffs, this isn't really going to have an overall impact in the headcount for the USPS. Wagner says that the USPS is trying to find these 
what they call landing spots for these Rift employees, and that they're really not looking at so much in the way of layoffs, but looking at alternate kind of work arrangements for these employees. And he did say, in some cases, yes, you know, these Rift employees, they might be offered a new job, but it's it's significantly far away from their current workstation, or, you know, it's a demotion, or it's a really different line of work than they, what the, what they've already been doing with USPS. And in those cases, he says there will probably be some layoffs from people who are not wanting to make that switch and they're pretty far along in their careers. But Wagner says that the net impact of this is just really USPS trying to right size its delivery network. A lot of companies look at where they're at, look at optimization, efficiency. Where can we go with that? And I think that was the main intent. Where do we need people, this location or that location, and are we working more efficiently? And then if we need fewer people in the support positions, we also need more people in the operations because the mail volume for packages has gone up. How are networks being done, getting everything transported out? And again, that's Brian Wagner, the president of the National Association of Postal Supervisors, talking with Federal News Network's Jory Heckman. And so as far as rift supervisors, what sorts of positions are are going away under all these changes, Jory? So the supervisors who were impacted by this RIF were really more in administrative support functions. So things, back back office functions like HR, financial management, things of that nature, things that are not necessarily tied to in-the-field operations, aren't managing a post office, aren't managing a mail processing plant. And so those are the kinds of things that are being impacted by all of this. And for what it's worth are, are jobs that are more telework enabled. This is really coming at a time when the Postal Service is figuring out how many employees they need in any given field office. And they've kind of, I think, come to the realization that they can centralize things like HR and financial management, and they don't need those people uh, spread across many different field offices. All right. And, and just to take us back to where we started, which is getting ready for the holiday. I mean, I mean, I think we all remember how dismal USPS delivery times were back around this period, around that period last year. What are they doing at this point beyond these supervisor ramp ups to, to prevent a repeat of that whole situation? This is the earliest in recent memory that the Postal Service has kind of begun its big ramp up that happens every year. And they're doing that specifically to kind of avoid that same situation as they went through last year, a situation where DeJoy did specifically apologize for you know these massive package and mail delays. And one way that they're really looking to tackle this is just in terms of the workforce, DeJoy recently told employees in a video message that he was planning to hire 40,000 seasonal workers and convert 33,000 non-career employees to career status. That second one actually has a longer tail than just the holiday operations. That's part of the agency's 10-year reform plan. And the whole thinking behind that is that those employees will you know have a longer trajectory within the agency that that will reduce employee turnover and to give you a sense of just how many employees the agency brings in DeJoy says that USPS now is averaging hiring 10,000 new employees each month all right federal news network's jory heckman thank you very much thanks jared and you can find jory's story at federalnewsnetwork.com hello and welcome to the lessons in leadership podcast i am your host shane canfield ceo of wepa 
Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Um, and then after I retired, after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life. And um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style? And how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin and what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I. We'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career. But really, it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was 
it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Uh, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions. Uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy, and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy, and... Um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons and in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally and, agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, 
we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Helping your employees learn new cloud skills helps your business become more agile, more resilient, and more secure. Not helping employees learn new cloud skills causes your business to become less agile, less resilient, less secure, less innovative, less profitable, and, well, ultimately less of a business. Don't become less of a business. Try Pluralsight and get your employees everything they need to learn new cloud skills. Learn more at Pluralsight.com vision. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.